Guys, welcome to the Physique Factory podcast. I'm your host, Conor Moran, with my co-host, James Tilsley. Today, we're going to be talking about fitness myths, um, and we're just going to run through a few of them and let you guys know our opinions on them. So we're going to start with, or James is going to start with, because this has been pissing him off, um, foam rolling. So I'll let you take over here, James. Cool. So you probably see a lot of people in the gyms um, stretching, foam rolling, getting the massage going, getting stuck in there. Um, maybe if something's like tight or you've got a little niggle or injury anywhere, um, probably it's not the best thing to do. Well, chances are it's not the best thing to do if it's injured. Um, or if you're going to stretch, it could potentially do a little bit more damage. We're getting into like passive ranges where you can't actually go. Um, yeah, so, so maybe yes. maybe explain that a bit better for the people who don't know. What, what is a passive range, James? This is like a test for you now. <laughs> yeah, um, so passive ranges are the positions where you can't get into and you're getting forced into it by gravity or another resistance or an external resistance where you so you can't get there naturally maybe like might cause a bit of disruption to the joint or you just need to be careful with things like that so a, a good example would be if we're going to bench press for the people that can see this and um, that are watching on youtube and pull my arms back as if i'm doing a bench press here and wherever that kind of comes to that'd be your active range that's the range i can actively get into a passive range is going to be anything from there to the end of your kind of joint range like your structural limit basically isn't it so um That's it just totally depends on the person as well um some people could tolerate it some people can't so again ch chances are let's not like do that and there's other ways of going about it i mean if something's tight or weak it's probably not the that's not probably just the sole reason. There's there's other things as well. Um, but stretching can have some sort of benefit, but it's not long-term and it won't solve problems. I mean, it's got an analgesic effect, meaning um, it's going to take some of the relief away from the pain um, in the short term, but not like in the long term. So it's like sort of a sensation, as well as like foam rolling or with a massage gun. So with, with tightness, um, I suppose like, there's going to be a reason something's tight. It's, a, it's a, a reaction from your nervous system, essentially, isn't it? So um, why why are we getting that reaction? That's kind of what you want to look at. So like if, if we're feeling tight, an example could be, you know, something could be on in a relatively lengthened or stretched position and feel tight. So, I mean, I'm sitting at a desk right now. There's, here's a really good example. Um, and if I'm sitting at a desk and my shoulders are kind of rounded and I'm slightly kind of protracted, you know, that kind of way, it's slightly hunched over, my upper back could feel tight. And nothing on my upper back would actually be tight or shortened. They would actually be lengthened. But you're getting that sensation because something there's just not quite right. Um, so, you know, this tightness kind of sensation we're getting, it could be for, it could be, you know, potentially a protective mechanism. It could be, you know, just just a sign that something's not right in general, I suppose. Um, yeah, I mean, that protective thing, if you've got like an injury or anything yeah. like that in the past and you might have like thought you recovered from it, then there's probably like a synergistic role that the other muscles are going to play to stop you entering that range that might cause like a few problems. So that's why protective tension might come to play as well as um, active and um, insufficiency and passive insufficiency. But that's like the length of a muscle um, compared to another joint angle. But 
won't really touch on that. Yeah, it's getting complicated for some people, <laughs> um, um, even ourselves at times. Um, but yeah, um, so I, I suppose what we're getting at is like, okay, foam rolling's not, we're, we're not saying anything's bad on this podcast today, um, but like, don't just say, oh, this is tight or this is sore, I'm going to foam roll it. Think deeper, like, why is this happening? What is causing this pain or this sensation, this tightness that we're getting? And what's going to be the best way to sort it? Is it rolling on a foam roller? Probably not a lot of the time. <laughs> um, but um, majority majority of time, it's always improving like contraction around that muscle or that joint of the muscles. So that will definitely improve it in the long run. 100%. Yeah, I, I think the I think the one a lot of people go on about is um, when you're um, oh, I'm forgetting the name of it now. This is terrible. But when you foam roll um, on the side of your leg, what you call your IT band, I couldn't remember right. the name of that there. Um, yeah, like I'm, I'm pretty sure that has like the strength of like a steel, basically. So like, if you took a foam roller to a bit of steel, what is that going to do? <laughs> very little. It's not very. It's not very stretchable anyway. You can't really stretch the. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so having an, a tight IT band is probably not the case. Yeah, it's so maybe something sure. more to do with the muscles that actually insert onto it. Yeah, but or anyway. anything around that joint. Cool. Yeah. But, um, Next one. But, I mean, just, I suppose to round that up, if you do like doing foam rolling, I mean, feel free to do it. But like, I suppose what we're saying is it's not always just the, the best kind of option. And you might be wasting your time a little bit with it. Maybe I don't want to say anything too, uh, too, you know, concrete. But yeah, you might be wasting your time. Um. So yeah, what we'll move on to from there. Um. Let's start with squat astagrass, since I done a post about it. Um. Earlier, we're, uh, we're not doing the best exercise thing to start it off with all the. Uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll start off with that then. So I suppose number two, number like fitness myth number two that we're going to go on to is the the best exercise for glutes and i'm using glutes as an example like this is anything you know people like to say what's the best exercise for chest what's the best exercise for glutes what's the best exercise for biceps and to say there is a best exercise for anything would just it'd be it'd be a bit of a, a bold statement a bit of a blanket statement really because i mean as you guys will probably know if you've listened to us before we, we talk about every, everyone's an, an individual and everyone's built differently and everyone has different, you know, limb lengths, things like that. And then, um, yeah. So to say there's a best exercise for everyone, just like this is the best exercise for your triceps and that's it. Well, it's just bullshit, isn't it? <laughs> there's, there might be an exercise that's better for you. Um, and there might be a different one that's better for me, but to say there's the, the best exercise for just, and it, a, a muscle group in particular would just yeah be bullshit as I say. Um, so behind that sort of thing, I'd say so. If an individual had like a shoulder injury, like a few of my clients do have, which we've come to me with, and not caused. Uh, yeah, I hope, I, hope, I hope they had it before they came to you, James. Not after. <laughs> no, so with the, with the tricep thing, maybe doing like an overhead dumbbell extension wouldn't be the best exercise, and something where you're not in a lot of shoulder flexion and being pushed into that range of the dumbbell. So. So that might be not the best tricep to exercise for someone, but for someone else who's got a healthy shoulder and they enjoy doing the movement, it, it might be might be cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think I think what we were going to go on to with this is, you know, the, the best exercise for for glutes. Um, you know, um, a lot of people like to think the hip thrust is the best exercise for glutes. Um, and w- something with the hip thrust in particular. So this is an easy one to kind of target, I suppose, but. 
when we're looking at the hip thrust, and you you broke it down when you were on RTS um last month, um you know what was what was the percentages we we're talking there, like go to kind of quad ratio. When we were like looking at that exercise, um when normal setup on the on the, like the box or the ground or whatever, it's looking like 50-50. So when that comes down to that, maybe it's not. If it's not, if you're getting like fifty percent of the quads and fifty percent of the glutes, then we're definitely not like biasing the glutes, yeah, more than anything else. But these different ways of setting it up, which we can go on to. Yeah, I mean, just on that, like, so yes, it is an exercise where you can target your glutes, no doubt. But if we're if we're getting fifty percent glutes, fifty percent quads, then we're probably going to feel more sensation, or possibly going to feel more sensation in the quads because the hip joint and the glutes are you know they're built for more load the loads are going to be stronger so if you've got 100 kilos on there for instance the 50 kilos that's going to the quads is going to feel like more because the quads are going to be weaker does that make sense James? yeah, yeah. definitely so um we're not saying oh, oh, the hip thrust isn't a glutes exercise by any means it is but it's also there's other things coming into play and is it the best potential <laughs> is it the best exercise for training uh, glutes <laughs> well maybe for some people but there are certainly better options out there. Um, and you were going to go on to like ways of making it more glute dominant, James, weren't you? Yeah, definitely. So that thing comes into play where, so there's two forces, well, mainly two forces acting um, when we do like a hip thrust. And that's being the weight of the, the, the GRF, so the ground reaction force, which is the main force which we're dealing with. But then we've got a thing called friction, which happens at the feet. So it depends when we we push our feet on the ground say if we pushed our feet forward which it sort of makes us do when we normally set up the the exercise so we're going to be forced to push our feet forward and then the ground's pushing back meaning it's going to create a bit more of a demand on the quads and that's why it makes it like 50 50 exercise but we can actually change that by the way we push our feet if we actively think about dragging our feet back we can maybe like get a little bit more glutes out of it. But there's, there's another couple of things that we can do as well. Yeah, I think a simple way of explaining this, and I think I heard this um, from uh, Paul at the Muscle Mentors, was um, if you're in a hip thrust position, you're at the top of the hip thrust. If you were on ice, if your feet would slide forward, then that's going to put more of the emphasis on your quads. If you're on ice and if you're in a position where you would stay exactly where your feet are, then that's kind of where you want it to be to try and get that, um, you know, that um, resultant force um, to, to aim more towards the, the glitch, really. Yeah, that, that resultant force, just, that's just basically the, the main force that we're dealing with from the bar and our weight. And then obviously we've got that friction force, so it's both of those combined, which makes that resultant. Yeah, I mean, I suppose what I was trying to do there is put it simply, it's like, if your feet are sliding forward, more quads. If your feet are, if your feet would stay where they are, then that's going to be more on the glutes, and that's more what we kind of want. Uh, you, you said something interesting before we actually came on that you've been doing. Um, don't know if you want to give away your big tips here, James. <laughs> no, I didn't mainly come up with this, don't worry. Um, I learned about it on some other courses I'm doing, so they are paying off. <laughs> Uh, so you, you, using a wedge so that really really helps where you're pushing your feet if your toes are elevated so make sure you're not got the wedge like that and you're pushing forward even more so make sure, elevate your toes and it's going to help maybe shift your feet back a little bit more again like the, the ice thing which Connor talks about then so we're going to bias the glutes a little bit more from the angle of our feet and they're going to really dig down rather than um, across into the ground yeah definitely and I suppose you could use um you could use a uh, 
heel wedge to do that, but you could also just use like a heel plate or something, really, just anything to elevate your toes would kind of do the job. Um, so yeah, that's cool. We'll move on from that, James. Um, and we'll move on to we're kind of going to take that into well, I was going to go squat ass the grass there. Will we talk about that one? Yeah, let's go. Yeah, so some of you guys might have seen, I actually done a post on this um, during the week there, uh, and I use me and my missus as an example here. But the, when it comes to squatting ass the grass, um, Michael from RTS likes to say, how long is the grass? <laughs> so um, Michael from Integra, she'll say, um, but how long is, is the grass? Um, and that's kind of a good way to sum it up because for, for me, for you, squatting is going to be different once again. And it's all going to, well, it's not all going to come down to limb lifts, but one of the things it's going to come down to is your proportions and your limb lifts. So someone like myself, I'd say I'm relatively balanced. I've maybe got a bit of a shorter torso, but relatively balanced. There's a few things we're going to look at. Obviously, torso length, which I mentioned there. Um, then your upper leg length, so your like femur lengths. And then we're going to look from the knees to the floor there. And the length of these three bits is going to determine how you kind of sit down into a squat, essentially. So the example I showed, um, if you look at my Instagram, um, at Conor Moran PT on Instagram, um, you'll see the picture of me. And again, as I say, I'm kind of relatively balanced um, and maybe a shorter, shorter torso. And I, I kind of sit a bit more upright, um, not completely upright, but for me, I think the, I'm trying to remember where the line of force actually was. It was kind of coming down somewhere through the middle. But again, going back to what we said on the um, hip thrust stuff, even if it is relatively balanced, you'll probably feel it more in the quads because the quads are going to be generally weaker than the, the ha- not the hamstrings, the glutes, sorry. Um, so you'll probably feel it more in your quads. So someone like me thinks that doing a squat is an awesome exercise for your quads. But then when we looked at my missus's, um, her squat, she has relatively long femurs and I wouldn't say she's got a massively long torso but because of the length of her femurs compared to her knee to four length she was having to bring her hips back a lot and therefore fold over a lot and to get into that like well if she was to try and squat ass to grass she'd probably feel like she was going to fall over because you need to maintain that center of mass over the midline of your foot otherwise you are just going to fall over and so for her someone like her She's probably going to use her glutes more in a in a squat than her quads are, but she's also going to feel it in her back a lot more because there's going to be a larger moment to her back because the hips have had to come back further and because she's had to fold into it a bit more. So potentially, you could do something with the foldability. Yeah, as in, this may mean like two things, like using the blocks or even the, the width for your feet. Um, that's going to maybe help us stay a little bit upright, get a bit more knee flexion. Uh, so, just on the individual yeah yeah definitely so um if you take a wider stance am i right saying that actually shortens the length of your femurs doesn't it technically uh, obviously not <laughs> not actually shorten them but um makes them as i suppose slightly shorter so for someone like her that might be an option um i don't know well a heel wedge again using this on your actual heel this time rather than your toes that would keep her a bit more upright, so it'd be easy, easier to keep her centre mass, so then she might be able to get a bit more depth there. Um, but yeah, there's there's going to be other things that come into it as well. Proportions are just kind of what I started on. You to obviously look at your available range of hip flexion, which is when you're going into the squat as that hip angle closes, that's hip flexion. Um, some people might struggle with knee flexion, and then obviously you've got ankle flexion as well. So we've got those three joints to consider there. You get, um, you get a lot of people, I don't know if you've seen it in your clients or people in the gym, 
where they get to the bottom of a squat and their hips like rounded all the way underneath. Yeah, yeah, like, the butt wank, yeah. Rounding, I mean, that's like, they're entering a passive range, aren't they? So that's maybe when you shouldn't be um, touching astographs. Yeah, definitely. Um, two seconds, James. For those watching on YouTube, I've got a lovely little example here. Don't know how well you can see this, but essentially what's happening there is as that pelvis kind of tucks under, and you get that kind of butt wink, your lower back has got to round. There's going to be this relationship between the pelvis and the lower back. And then you end up looking like that essentially at the bottom of your squat, don't you? Um, and that's not going to be a nice position for the spine, just to put it simply. It's not going to be a nice position. It's all le- well, it's lengthened, isn't it? So it's got to um, potentially run into a few issues if we're loading in that position. Yeah, with a lot of weight. With a lot of weight. Yeah, yeah, but um, I suppose that the the moral of that one um, the, is that like getting into an astrograph squat for some people is going to be easy, and they're going to wonder why no one else can do it. Um, and then for other people, they're going to think squats are a pretty shitty exercise. Um, and as, this kind of came up for me. The reason I posted about this is because a, a couple of girls that come to me, they've been training at the gym with their friends, and that they were saying like squats just don't feel right to them. And like when the friend does it, like the friend loves squats, but they're like, Oh, I, I, I can't, I can't get these for some reason. Am I not doing it right? Or, you know, just that kind of feeling like, can I not actually do this? Well, it might not be your fault. It might just, it might be your parents' fault. It might be your genetics. You can blame them. <laughs> but um, yeah, it might be down to your proportions. It might be down to your available ranges um, and things like that. So don't think just because something's a brilliant exercise for your friends that it's going to be the best exercise for you. A thing for someone, so in, in this instance, uh, one of those girls in particular, her femurs are pretty long. So same idea as like my missus, you know, if she if she went to full depth, she's going to feel like she's going to fall over because of the centre of mass. Um, another one, it was down to poor hip flexion. If you had poor hip flexion, something like a hack squat or a pendulum squat is probably going to be a good answer for you because if, if you imagine starting position of the hack squat or the pendulum squat, you're at zero degrees of hip flexion. So on a leg press, well, I suppose on a squat, you're at zero degrees of hip flexion too, but to get to that kind of depth, you have got to go into quite a lot. But something like a leg press might not be so good if you've got poor hip flexion because you almost start in 90 degrees of hip flexion. Um so kind of something like a pendulum squat or a hack squat might be quite a good option to try and train your quads. Definitely. Have you, ever, have you seen at the moment or have you ever found at the moment that there's um, a big emphasis around range of motions? And if you're not going as low as you can do, then it doesn't count. It's a big like ego thing. It's gone from these the weight where you're lifting them shitload of weight, harder in range of motion to large, large range of motions and saying getting your, say even the leg press, getting your knees near your ears. And yeah, you're probably entering a passive range where you can't go for most people and saying, and putting a shitload of stress into your labrum. And that's sort of the in thing at the moment. I don't know if you've seen it on social media. I suppose like um, a lot of people will see people doing it on social media. And again, it comes back to, for them, it might be okay. They might have a shit ton of hip flexion, so they might be able to do a um, leg press and bring their knees all the way back to hit their chest or whatever. But that doesn't mean it's the right option for you. It just means it's the right option for them. And I think a lot of a lot of these kind of myths, you know, especially around squat bench um, deadlift, kind of come from powerlifting. And people, oh, you've got to hit the bar off your chest or you've got to squat ass to grass. It's like, unless you are a powerlifter, then... I'm not going to say it doesn't matter, but 
you don't have to follow the rules of powerlifting if you're not a powerlifter. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like me following the rules of cricket, even though I don't play cricket. <laughs> I don't know any rules of cricket. I've not got a good example. Don't there, even know why. <laughs> no, I know fuck all about cricket. If, if anyone knows anything about cricket, feel free to uh, en- enlighten us in the rules. <laughs> but yeah, um, that's I suppose pr- a pretty good example. Um, but yeah, I kind of kind of lost track of where I was. I was totally drawing a blank there. Let's, uh, let's round it on, up on that and move on to the next What the fuck one. were we talking about? I'm like, why am I talking about cricket? <laughs> <laughs> How did I get out of cricket? Yeah, so exercise rules, I suppose. These rules and regs and, you know, just because you see other people doing something doesn't mean that's what you should do. Just because your favourite bodybuilder does something doesn't mean you have to do it. Um, exactly. Do you, uh, do you remember the thing at the time with the, the adductor? Um, I was training with a bunch of guys and I think it was like using the adductor and putting it widest setting you can go and like sliding into it, someone kicking it open and you're starting in that range. And looking back at it now, I was thinking, what the fuck was we doing? You can just rip your adductor straight off in that range. <laughs> stupid. I mean, we've all done stupid shit in the past. Yeah. but I think that's, that's important to say, actually, James. Um, you know, we're talking about all this now, but I've done a lot of stupid shit. <laughs> Don't know about you, but I've done a, a lot of stupid shit. We've all learned from our mistakes. We have to go there. There's all the stages that we go through and... Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we've experienced them and they're the reasons why we do, don't do them anymore. Yeah, definitely. Good injuries to show for them as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, cool, so next one. What have we gone over? Uh, um, we've got isolation exercises or the... Oh, isolation exercises, yeah, that's quite interesting. So you want to take over with that, James? Or do you want me to? Yeah, cool. Um, so isolation exercises, let's go... Elbow flexors being main like biceps and stuff. Doing, um, just, yeah, just keep it simple. Like, I suppose what we're saying is there is no isolation exercises. And again, where yeah, we got this from the, is um, the, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, we kind of got this from like Michael again at um, Integra. Really, um, he kind of says there there is no isolation exercises. So yeah, bicep curls as an example. On you go, James. Exactly. So you can't really call, say, we're going to do a bicep curl with a dumbbell. We can't just call it a bicep curl just because there's other things working. We can't fully isolate that muscle um, and nothing else work. We've got a shitload of muscles doing different roles and jobs around that joint to get us through that motion and into that position that we want. So we've got like the movement basically is um, elbow flexion. So our flexors can be your biceps. That's definitely one of the biggest ones, brachialis. And, and then some of your like forearm muscles. And then there's another bunch of muscles doing the jobs, like maintaining and maintaining the joint and maintaining the plane of it. Yeah. So like, for again, for those that are watching, um, or I suppose even we could explain this one, but like maintaining the plane would be if I'm doing a bicep curl and, you know, we're just moving back and forth here. It's making sure we don't go away over there or anything like that, basically. So for those that are listening, it's like if the bicep curl is working in that sagittal plane, which is front to back, um, it's making sure your arm doesn't drift off to one side and go away over to the other side or anything like that. Um, and then, as you say, the ones that are kind of keeping the integrity of the joint, well, they're just keeping the joint intact, I suppose. There's not too much to explain there. Um, so, like, so the ones managing the joint, say if we're flexing our arm, then it would be our triceps, so the ones that's directly opposing the main muscles, so the resistance fighters which are working. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So whenever we do an exercise, it's not just, this is a bicep exercise and that's it. There's always going to be 
a shit ton of stuff working, I suppose. Always um, saying things on social media saying, oh, this I, this exercise fully isolates the hamstrings or the biceps. And like, no, it doesn't, else it wouldn't be moving. <laughs> There's maybe some sort of mad science experiment where you could uh, get someone to work like just one muscle and that's it. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, that's not the way it works. You could just call, you could call every exercise bang for your buck. You're getting a shit ton of muscles working every time. So uh, I mean, you can bias exercises or bias muscle groups towards yeah, bias would be the one. Definitely, let's use good bias rather than isolate. Yeah, I think that's, that's again an important thing to say. It's like although these muscles are working here, they're not they're not going to be working near as hard as like the likes of the bicep is. Like you know, you're 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 although your triceps doing some work when you're doing a bicep curl. It's going to be nothing like the, the, the biceps actually doing. So, yeah, I suppose that's important to get, get clear. No one's doing a bicep curl to get their triceps bigger. Exactly. That brings on something else, um, which we literally briefly talked about before we jumped on the live. Um, squats and leg presses and the involvement of the hamstrings. So there's a big thing at the moment on social media going back and forward saying, oh, your hamstrings work when you're doing uh, a squat or a leg press. Um, so they, they do have the role, but they wouldn't mechanically be under any load, really. It might be a sensation. But if you, say, put like an EMG, which measures how much um, your nervous system is creating output within that muscle, then it will flag up and it will look like it's working quite hard. But that's because it's a joint manager. We've got our quads working. Yeah. So what the hamstring's doing there, um, again, we we're just talking about this before, uh, and again, to, to reference Michael from Integra, um, we, we were learning about on his um, anatomy labs course there, um, to what the hamstring's actually doing there is everyone's heard of the ACL, everyone knows what the ACL is, and everyone's scared to damage their ACL. <laughs> um, so what, what the ACL does is it stops your the lower leg from basically, like say you're doing a leg extension, basically just fucking flying off and <laughs> coming completely off. Um, we definitely don't want that. Yeah, I would, I would prefer that not to happen personally. Um, and a hamstring acts as a secondary kind of ACL in, in these kind of situations, maintaining that kind of, again, integrity of the joint, as you say. Yeah. Um, and also, like, we've got, we've got things like the gastroc that's going to be working hard there as well, which gastroc's going to be pulling that kind of compression mm-hmm of that joint, yeah. isn't it? It's going to be pulling it back up. Um, the gastroc being one of the calf muscles, of course. Um, but yeah, the, <laughs> whenever we do an exercise, I think the, the moral of that story is there's a shit ton of stuff going on. Shit ton of stuff. Mm-hmm. And when you think you kind of realise all the things that's happening, someone like Michael shows you something and you're like, okay, there's more than I ever imagined going on here. Definitely. It's like when, um, so when I was doing um, my practical exam at uni, I had to demonstrate sumo deadlift or normal deadlift and say what the difference is between them and i said oh the, the quads are working more in a sumo and it was like no 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 the, it's the uh, the adults that are working more and i thought i was like hmm, there's something about that so anyway i pulled it up with michael when i was on rts of the week and was like, i got this question wrong at uni um a couple of years back when i was doing my snc course and I said it was quads working more, but the guy said it was adductors. And it was like, I was right. It is a quads working more because of the friction pushing back. Like we talked about the thing on the hip thrust or the fr- friction pushing back, changing the resultant force. And it's just literally a sensation of stretching your adductors when you're in that position. So much going on in an exercise to think about when you get into this shit. It's just like, <laughs> it blows my mind. Um, 
even doctors and stuff at university don't know their shit. Yeah, yeah. It's only people that kind of reach out to do things like RTS, things like that, that I suppose have this sad kind of interest in it um, that yeah. really look into I, it. I, I don't understand why exercise mechanics is so neglected. Yeah, it's, it's probably because to some people it's just boring. Um, and you, you get like, I suppose you get a bodybuilder, for instance, um, let's just say Phil Heath's the first that comes to mind, for example, but I don't know if anyone actually uses him as an example, but like JP, let's go JP, because everyone, everyone like the UK talks about that guy. Um, and they're like, well, JP just does a leg press and grows his legs. JP's a terrible example, actually. He actually knows a lot about mechanics. Yeah, <laughs> but like, you know, the, the, basically what I'm trying to say is they'll see their favourite bodybuilder doing something, they're like, well, he just does a leg press and doesn't overthink it. So that that works. So that's what I'm going to do. And I suppose in a sense, like, you will definitely make a lot of progress just doing exercise and not overthinking it to the degree we are. There's there's no need to really go this deep. But for us as a profession to be giving the best service to our clients, to be not injuring them in the long term, <laughs> because, again, this stuff should make you feel better, not worse. Um, it is important to go into these things. It is important to know where we're applying forces to in someone's body and how how it's going to affect the body and the joints and the muscles and yeah for us we as you say there, there should be more emphasis on it from our point of view as as like personal trainers as online coaches there should be more emphasis on it for everyone going into the gym it would be good to know but i don't suppose it is essential but it would definitely be good to know <laughs> and definitely. When you go on about that, actually, um, me and Paul were talking about the leg press the other day. Um, so we've got, when you're doing a leg press, you've obviously got where you put your feet position is going to change where the emphasis goes uh, between the, the quads and the glutes. Now, they're obviously both going to always be working, but we can change that emphasis with our foot position. So for those that don't know, generally putting your feet higher is going to create a larger demand on the glutes and putting your feet lower is going to create a larger demand on the quads. Now, another thing to think about in that is, are you pushing your hips back into the pad? Are you pushing your back back into the pad? Because that's going to create, again, another force, essentially, um, and we're going to get a resultant force from that. So when we've got more than one force acting, we're going to get this kind of resultant force. Um, hopefully that's explained nice and simply there. Um, it's just where we, when we're lifting a weight or a leg press or anything, when we're touching it, so the application, where we're touching the pad, the weight or anything like that, that's an application. So the way we push on that can create a resultant. So like Connor just said there on, on a leg press, if you push your hips down into that pad and pull it down, that's going to make your quads a little bit, bias the quads a little bit more. And then say, if you push your upper back into that pad, then it's going to bias like the glutes a little bit more. So depending on what your goal is, you can have a play around with those things, which is called intention. And then the, the other thing is um, you can go a step deeper. It's like, is there any friction on your feet on the on the, the pad as well, like on the sled? Um, so like, I mean, this thing just, these things just grow arms and legs. Um, so it, it can be a bit confusing for people. So hopefully we've actually busted some myths here not just confused the shit out of people so like i suppose on on this stuff if any of you guys have any questions please do feel free to like reach out to us so like um my instagram handles at conoran pt c-o-n-o-r-m-o-r-a-n-p-t and then james what's yours uh jt underscore physique factory yeah and then um we've also got physique factory culture page as well um which we've got some underscores on that as well don't we 
Uh, we do, two of them. <laughs> yeah, so where does that come in, James? Uh, physique underscore battery underscore coaching. Yeah, yeah, cool. I couldn't remember it there. I'm not going to lie. I just like, kind of put that one onto you. But um, yeah, if anyone has any questions on any of this shit, please do feel free just to ask. I, I feel like we've just waffled on about a load of random shit, which is kind of what this podcast is going to be. So if you don't like it, well, I'm okay. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, but I suppose we'll just wrap it up at that, James, because we have waffled on about enough shit today. So thank you to everyone who's listening to the podcast. We're actually kind of blown away with the response. We're surprised anyone listens to us. Um, but if you guys could help us reach more people, that'd be awesome. So if you could take a screenshot of the podcast and put it up in your story, we would much appreciate that. Perfect. Cheers for listening, guys.